from the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up, we're broadcasting live from the site of the International Religious Freedom Summit 2021 here in Washington, D.C. Family Research Council is one of the convening sponsors. The event was organized by the former ambassador-at-large for religious freedom under President Trump, Ambassador Sam Brambach, who will join us a little bit later with an overview of the summit. We'll also talk with one of my colleagues on the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom, Nadine Mianza, who is currently serving as the chair of the commission. We'll be talking about the state of religious freedom around the world. Dr. Bob Fu, founder and president of China Aid and senior fellow at Family Research Council, testified yesterday before the Tom Lantos Human Rights Commission hearing. He'll be stopping by with an update on China. And finally, more reaction to President Biden's dark speech yesterday in Philadelphia. The big lies and fake outrage are totally failing to persuade the American people. Americans want to make it easy to vote, but hard to cheat. That was Republican leader Mitch McConnell earlier today on the Senate floor saying Americans are not buying it. We'll talk uh, about President Biden's incendiary rhetoric and the announcement that Democrats have reached an agreement with themselves on a $4.1 trillion budget package on infrastructure. Oklahoma Senator James Langford joins me in just a moment. The website, TonyPerkins.com, if you're on the free speech platform of Gab, it's at Tony underscore Perkins. By the way, tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, our weekly edition of Pray Vote Stand. Tonight, talking about America's crime wave. What's fueling the lawlessness? We'll be joined by Congresswoman Mary Miller of Illinois, Wiley Thompson, former assistant director of the FBI, and Pastor Phil Hudson-Piller from California will be joining us. That's tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, PrayVoteStand.org, to tune in and be a part of praying for our nation. All right, yesterday, Democrats on the Senate Budget Committee unveiled a $3.5 trillion, that's T, that's a T, trillion dollar budget, uh, that combined with a bipartisan $600 billion infrastructure plan, that makes it $4.1 trillion. Uh, the deal is a part of a two-pronged plan Democrats are using to pass the president's infrastructure plan. Now, President Biden traveled to Capitol Hill today to try and wrangle the ultra-liberal wing of his party with dwindling moderates in the ranks to pass this monstrosity of a spending bill. Joining me now to discuss this and more, Senator James Langford of Oklahoma. He serves on the U.S. Senate's Committee on Finance and the U.S. Senate Committee on Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs. Senator Langford, welcome back to the program. Tony, always great to see you. Well, uh, before we get started, I know you are an honorary co-chair of this uh, Summit on International Religious Freedom. This is an issue that you care very deeply about uh, and one that you've spoken out on frequently. Um, This is an important issue, something the administration is not paying a whole lot of attention to, and it's so important for civil society organizations to take up and uh, really the torch and carry this. It's incredibly important, and this particular conversation is going to focus on several things. One is 
Obviously, the Biden administration has not nominated even an ambassador at large for international religious freedom. We continue to be able to press to say, if we're going to put this basic human value out there as an American value all over the world, we've got to have a spokesperson for that. That was Sam Brownback under the Trump administration. We want to be able to have a good person that's able to articulate that like Sam Brownback was. The second thing is this conversation that we have going on tomorrow in this conference, focus on American businesses, international businesses, and governments. And I'll ask a very simple question. If your business I were to compare to a nation, what would your religious liberty look like at your business workplace? In some businesses, hopefully it looks like America, that you allow all faiths to be able to thrive. But I'm afraid there are many businesses across America and tech industries and others that they act more like China in their business of trying to suppress people of faith, being able to live out their faith in the workplace, than they look like the United States. So I'll set out several different examples of other nations and to say, here's how they handle religious liberty. How do you do that in your workplace in the United States? Very probing and uh, very timely question. I look forward to uh, seeing if we get any answers. Let's talk about this uh, budget agreement that the Democrats have reached with themselves. Normally, it's you reach it with the other party, but apparently they have such division in their own ranks, it's hard for them to come to an agreement. But explain what we're talking about here. $3.5 trillion combined with $600 billion. That's a lot of money. Yeah, it's a tremendous amount of money. It's the number one question I get asked from Oklahomans right now is where is all this money coming from? And it is literally just printed money. It came out in March when they put out a $2 trillion package they said was COVID-related. We all saw the damage that's done to our economy when they threw $2 trillion out. Prices are going up on housing, on lumber, on uh, used cars, uh, on bacon, on milk, on bread, on everything. Uh, we're seeing prices go up on it directly connected to that uh, bill that they put out there and the inflation that's now causing. Now they're talking about doing a $3.5 trillion uh, entitlements package. This is more money for people not to work. Uh, this is more money that we're just going to take from one group and send to another group. Uh, it's a dramatic increase in taxes and change in our tax law that will make our American companies not competitive on the world stage. Uh, so this is no so small, simple thing to tell you how big it is and how far left it is. When Senator Schumer made the announcement on the floor of the Senate, the two people he brought with him to be able to make the announcement were Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, and they were giddy about this transformational package they're putting out. If there's any package that I can say does a hard left lurch towards socialism, it is this package that dramatically changes our tax law, does redistribution of wealth, and dramatically overspends in our economy in multitude of ways. And so this is the major step towards socialism that Senator Sanders and Senator Warren are so excited about. So, Senator Langford, is this spending above and beyond the uh, normal budget? It is, actually. So the quote-unquote normal budget is usually a little over $4 trillion for the entire year. Uh, that proposal is almost $6 trillion uh, from uh, President Biden, plus this additional $2 trillion they've already spent, plus an additional $4.5 trillion, plus, as you mentioned before, an additional $600 billion on infrastructure. We're pushing well in excess of spending $12 trillion in a year to be able to lay this out. It is so far beyond rational and normal. Uh, the numbers are so big. I think they're at the spot to say after COVID, uh, no one's going to notice big numbers anymore so we can continue to be able to overspend. And they literally believe that America can't go default uh, because we're the world's currency. So print as much as you want, 
tax as much as you want and to be able to make sure that we spend as much as they want to be able to spend for the redistribution of wealth. They feel like it won't have any difference. I would tell you the American consumer just a few months into this already feel the difference in what's happening in inflation, what's happening in labor, what's happening in shortages. This is not just a reaction to what's happened from COVID. This is a direct reaction to the federal government overspending. Well, you mentioned uh, the reaction to COVID. I, I know that one of the uh, the side effects they said of having the COVID virus was uh, virus was a brain fog. Uh, obviously, a lot of people in D.C. Uh, had COVID uh, because there's a brain fog, obviously, uh, descendant upon the city. When we're talking about numbers of this magnitude, how we're ever going to to pay for this now. There is a effort afoot to try to get a lot of this through without having to have any Republican votes whatsoever. Yeah, they're trying to do this now. Again, Tony, they came out and said, we've come to this agreement, as you said, with ourselves to be able to get this resolved. That's actually the Democrats on just the Senate Budget Committee that made this big announcement. That doesn't include all 50 Democrats that are in the Senate, nor does it include the House of Representatives. So they're trying to be able to put this big united front. I would tell you behind the scene. Senate Democrats and House Democrats are not as united as they're trying to be able to portray from just the, the Democrats on the Budget Committee, which, if, if people don't know, Bernie Sanders is the one who's the chairman of the Budget Committee for the Senate. And so he's trying to put out this big united front. It's not as united as it looks behind the scenes. In fact, they had President Biden meeting today with Senate Democrats to be able to make the pitch to say, let's be able to do this to try to start winning people over when none of them have actually seen the details. And there is some skepticism even among Democrats. So our main task at this point is to be able to find out what they're actually trying to propose, what they're trying to do just straight Democrat, and then to also be very clear how this really damages the economy long term and what this does to the American competitiveness worldwide and what it'll do to businesses and jobs. Uh, I know they, they really idealize places like Cuba and other places and say they're so great. The Cuban people are protesting in the streets right now because of the oppression and the slow economy on that. I don't want that to be the ghost of Christmas future for America. Yeah, with uh, with that backdrop, it's a little hard for them to push their socialistic agenda, although it's never stopped them before. Um, I, I don't want to assume anything. I've learned uh, my 18 years in Washington here, assume nothing. Where do the Republicans stand on this? Are they in lockstep in opposition to this massive spending effort? Yeah, the three and a half trillion dollars spending, there's a lockstep opposition to the six hundred billion dollars in infrastructure. There are some Republicans that are currently negotiating with Democrats to try to figure out what to be able to do on that. Infrastructure in the past has been a bipartisan event uh, to be able to do infrastructure. There's not Republican or Democrat roads or inland waterways or all those things. The problem is going to be the pay fors. Typically, we've been very focused on how do you actually pay for it to make sure there's not additional debt spending on infrastructure. We've yet to see what that proposal is. So there are some Democrats and Republicans talking about the infrastructure portion of it, but I don't, I don't hear a single Republican talking about this $3.5 trillion proposal that's a giant new entitlement package. I want to shift gears to yesterday, the president uh, making a speech in Philadelphia on uh, election reform, trying to push H.R. 1 through shaming Republicans for not voting at the same time, welcoming Democrats from Texas into uh, D.C., which has become a sanctuary city, apparently, for Democrats who are performing malfeasance in office. But that's another topic. I, I have a short clip I want to play of his speech from yesterday. Clip number four, please. We're facing the most significant test of our democracy since the Civil War. That's not hyperbole. Since the Civil War. 
The Confederates, back then, never breached the Capitol, as insurrectionists did on January the 6th. I'm not saying this to alarm you. I'm saying this because you should be alarmed. I don't know if you watched his whole speech. I did. But he is connecting the reform efforts in the states that 17 states have passed legislation to address the irregularities from November to to give people confidence that their vote counts. He's tying that, saying that's the greatest threat to our democracy since the Civil War. Yet the worst of that is his comment to say it's the greatest threat since the Civil War and then to pause and say that's not hyperbole. Uh, I don't know what he's missed in the last 150 years in American history to be able to see what's really occurred in that transition. But to say that this is like the Civil War where hundreds of thousands of people died uh, and we had states com- uh, combating against each other uh, through the all that we've gone through as a country since that time period for him to say that states like Texas or my state like Oklahoma that added another day of early voting, that they have criticized that uh, from Washington, D.C., to say that was racist, to say that Georgia uh, adding additional days of voting uh, for early voting and saying we're going to do drop-off boxes, but they have to be in secure locations where we can actually have a camera on them to make sure that they're not messed with, Uh, for him to be able to argue with the Supreme Court, where the Supreme Court's decision last week was Arizona doesn't have to do ballot harvesting. They're saying that's unjust and racist, that they're not going to allow ballot harvesting to allow political operatives to go door to door and gather ballots and then to be able to literally turn in boxes full of ballots on Election Day and say, trust me, these are all these are all good and no one mess with them is absurd. So this is not about race at all. This is about making voting easy. Uh, about making cheating hard and about making sure you can verify elections when they're done. That should be yeah. the way that elections are actually done. And I think the, the Senate uh, Republican leader was correct. It was irresponsible the president to say that. Senator, we're out of time. Always great to talk with you. Thanks for joining us. Great to see you again, Tony. Thanks for what you're doing. When it comes to reading the Bible, sometimes it can be difficult to know where to start or to understand how to apply Scripture to everyday life. There are also those passages that leave people scratching their heads, wondering what some things even mean and what they're supposed to make of it. We all know that Scripture is divinely inspired and given by God, and it's useful to us as God uses it to prepare and equip us to do good work for His kingdom, to grow us and to bring us closer to Him. God's Word is powerful, but it shouldn't intimidate you. That's why Family Research Council offers the Stand on the Word Bible Reading Plan. It's a two-year plan that helps you read the Bible daily so you can stay grounded in God's truth, navigate our culture from a biblical worldview, and grow closer to God. This plan will help you to practice the discipline of reading Scripture every day so you can be transformed by God's Word. Sign up to get the daily passages and questions today by visiting frc.org slash Bible. God is the author of life and has created man in His image. Therefore, we must respect the inherent dignity of every human life from conception until natural death. That is why Family Research Council works to pass legislation that highlights this principle, including laws that protect the unborn. To keep you informed on this issue, FRC has created online maps that illustrate progress in each state on key pro-life laws. That way, you can know if your state legislators are working to protect unborn babies. 
The pro-life laws FRC tracks at the state level include those addressing late-term abortions, fetal dignity, defunding abortion businesses, and providing medical care for babies born alive after an attempted abortion. See where your state stands on pro-life abortion. Check out our pro-life maps at frc.org slash pro-life maps. Most Americans believe they have a biblical worldview, but current research shows that only 6% actually have one. This means that most of our friends and neighbors, including those who attend church, don't think about the day's moral and cultural issues through a biblical lens. Increasingly, we see the disastrous effects of a culture that has rebelled against the truth of God's Word. That is why Family Research Council has launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. This center is an exciting new ministry created to help Christians develop and live by a biblical worldview, to understand why scriptures must be authoritative, and to equip believers to advance and defend the faith in the workplace, in schools, in their communities, and in the public square. The experts at FRC's Center for Biblical Worldview provide research and resources to help prepare believers to give a biblical answer to our culture's most pressing questions. Access the center's free resources at frc.org slash worldview. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So good to have you. We are broadcasting live from the International Religious Freedom Summit 2021 uh, here at the Omnishoreham Hotel in Washington, D.C. Let me remind you tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, Pray, Vote, Stand. We'll be talking about America's crime wave. What's behind the lawlessness? But for now, we look at the summit. And uh, throughout the summit, which began yesterday, we've heard heart-wrenching stories of people whose experiences are a far cry from what religious Americans are experiencing here in this country. Most of over the over 7 billion people alive on this planet do not get the privilege of experiencing the freedoms that we have here in America. We take them for granted. Our First Amendment is but a distant dream for far too many people abroad. And this summit has certainly brought that reality into focus. Joining me now to highlight this important summit is Ambassador Sam Brownback. Uh, as our regular listeners will recall, he served as ambassador at large for international religious freedom during the Trump administration, and he is the co-chair of the International Religious Freedom Summit 2021. Ambassador, welcome back to the program. Hey, Tony, always good to join you. Good to see you, friend. Good to see you. It's, um, you know, we've been doing all these virtual things, so it's actually good to, good to, good <laughs> yeah, to touch yeah, I know. Three-dimensional here. I'm going, wow. I, you know, I'm seeing that with people here that uh, this is one of the first big events that we've uh, had in D.C. in a while. This uh, event reopened this hotel. This yeah. hotel had been closed down for 16 months. They'd had a few weddings here. But this is the inaugural event, and they're ecstatic to have this, to get open again and to have people in the place again. This is, they're good people here at this hotel. This is where we do our Value Voters Summit, where we've, we've done it years past. So it's a good, good hotel staff. Let me, uh, let me ask you something. In your opening remarks, you said freedom of faith is the way forward. If we don't have religious freedom for all around the world, we have, will have the clash of civilizations full of death and carnage, and you can see it setting up now. What do you mean by that? I mean, Nigeria, where you've got a Muslim north and a Christian south, and you've got all this killing taking place in between. 
I mean, other places in the Sahel and Africa. And look at that region in Africa around Nigeria. We've got all these Islamic terrorist groups targeting it. And they're seeing an opportunity here to drive a wedge and to create a caliphate. And this is a clash of civilizations between an Islamic-based civilization and a Christian-based one. I'm saying India, where you've got Hindu nationalism that's rising up and creating a lot more difficulty. I'm saying in Burma, where you've got a Buddhist population is kicking out a Muslim and Christian population. And China, which isn't so much a clash of civilizations as it's a clash of ideology, where you've got an atheist ideology that's going to kick out all faith. That's the clash of civilizations. Well, three of those countries in particular, Nigeria, India, Nigeria, uh, largest population on the African continent. So whatever happens in Nigeria is going to affect the entire continent of Africa, probably spill over into Europe. Uh, so it's a significant issue. India, largest uh, democracy, you know, huge country. That's going to affect others. And then China, of course... While it's different, they're exporting their religious persecution and their uh, totalitarian means of repressing people. Yeah, they really are. And that's why, of all of them, uh, on a present basis, China has been the one that's concerned me the most because of the exportation of the ideology and the technology to do it. They kind of got a package deal. It's, you know, we put down all faith. And here's the software, and here's the facial recognition systems. Here's all the things to do it. But, but I'm, we've got an answer, Tony. And the answer is religious freedom for everybody everywhere. Right. Right. If you just guarantee this, then the Nigerian government is called upon to protect the Christians and the Muslims if they start getting persecuted. Then the Indian government can't say, okay, the Hindu radicals, you're fine. They got to say, no, that's wrong. You're going to jail for that. We're going to lock you up. While I was governor of Kansas, I had a Hindu man that was attacked in a bar and killed. And the person that did it was prosecuted. The, the person that kept from more Hindus being killed was a Christian guy that stood in the way and got shot himself, wasn't killed. But I, as governor, stood up and said, we will have none of that in this state. We're going to prosecute this case to the full extent of the law. This is not what we stand for. And you really put your weight behind. We don't do that kind of stuff. Right. Right. And that's what we're going to have to expect of other countries around the world. Well, and we were making tremendous progress under the Trump administration because this was a top foreign policy priority under President Trump, under Secretary Pompeo. And, of course, they tapped you to, to implement it as the ambassador of large religious freedom. What do you hope will be the outcome? Now, this is something that the State Department did. You know, the State Department had the ministerial on uh, for religious freedom, international religious freedom. This is now civil society driven. You've kind of taken the ball and run with this from a civil society perspective. What do you hope to accomplish through this uh, three-day summit? Really to continue the movement and grow the grassroots movement and to not have it be dependent upon who's in the White House. This needs to be run on the outside. It needs to be done by civil society advocates who every day wake up thinking about what can I do to help on religious freedom and push back on persecution. And I think you're going to see this really blossom and grow because there's a lot of interest. There's a lot of yeah. support. It just really needs to kind of come together and galvanize. And, Tony, the beautiful thing, too, is you've got every major religion in the world represented here, and they'll all stand together around this topic of religious freedom. And so we've got 
billions of people that you can really contact and work with to say, we're standing for a common human right. We are not talking theology whatsoever. This is about your human right. Let's fight for it together. But as we fight for that right, it gives us the ability to talk theology elsewhere. It gives us the ability to share our faith wherever we go. And so that's why, as Christians, you know, we need to be vested in this effort to ensure every man, woman, and child has the freedom to choose. The freedom to choose and the freedom to change. Right. We, we insist, too, look, the freedom to choose is the freedom to change, that you've got the right uh, to move and do what you, what you see fit. Ambassador, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for joining us, and a job well done. I mean, for the first uh, summit, this is tremendously successful, so I commend you and congratulate you. Thanks, Tony. Always All good right. to see you. God good bless you. you. All right. Ambassador Sam Brownback. Uh, coming up next, we're going to be joined by Dr. Bob Fu. He's going to stop by. Yesterday, he testified before the Tom Lantos uh, f- uh, Commission on Human Rights. He's going to be uh, giving us an update on what is happening in China. And then also, we're going to be joined a little bit later by uh, uh, Nadine Mianza, who is serving now as the chair of the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom. So don't go away. A lot more Washington Watch still to come. Are you looking for a go-to platform where you can get relevant commentary on the cultural issues of the day from a biblical perspective? Today, it can be hard to find this in light of media censorship of conservative and Christian voices. Here at Family Research Council, we believe that every American has a right to exercise their freedom of speech and share their stories with the world. And we think it's important for you to have access to these stories. To get the facts and stories the left doesn't want you reading, head over to frc.org slash blog to check out our newest blog posts. We cover the issues you care about, all written by our experts in policy, government affairs, and biblical worldview. Our experts unpack the topics that other media platforms won't, like current events that affect Christians internationally, sexuality from a biblical perspective, and insights into the increasingly radical shift in American culture. To stay up to date on current news related to faith, family, and freedom, go to frc.org slash blog. We're seeing more and more cases of censorship and the canceling of many conservatives and Christians by big tech companies. To combat this, Family Research Council has chosen to be proactive before big tech tries to censor or cancel us. We want to stay connected with you, and so we've created a tech subscription platform. That way, you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom, even if big tech tries to silence us. It's easy. You just sign up for the text alerts by texting STAND to 67742, and you'll get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742, and FRC will keep you looped in on the issues of the day. By subscribing, you'll get information on our upcoming events and programs. We want you to always have access to the content that will help you stand for faith, family, and freedom, and keep you connected with like-minded community. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know. We are uh, broadcasting live from the International Religious Freedom Summit here in Washington, uh, D.C. First summit. And as we were just talking with uh, Ambassador Sam Brownback, he was kind of a spearheading it. We worked with him to help to get it off the ground, but uh, very, very successful. You can find out more 
about it. This is a civil society-led initiative, and so it's going to expand. Others can be a part of it. And, you know, just very quickly, as Christians, we need to be focused on religious freedom. Now, some would argue, why should we want freedom for everybody? We want freedom for everybody so they can have the freedom to choose and to change. And that's what religious freedom under the 1948 Universal Declaration of Human Rights is. It guarantees the right of people to believe but to change their religions if they so choose. And that's why it opens the marketplace of ideas where we can share our faith. And I believe when you share the Christian faith that nothing else stands up against it. If we have the opportunity to present it and people have an opportunity to listen and change. So uh, go to the website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, yesterday, the Tom Lantos Human Rights Commission held a hearing on the state of religious freedom around the globe. Bob Fu. China AIDS founder and director, as well as FRC's own senior fellow for international religious freedom, shared a, uh, he testified before the commission on the state of religious freedom in China. And he joins us now live in person here at the summit. Uh, Dr. Fu, welcome to Washington Watch. Thank you, Tony, for having me. It's always a pleasure. Now, I want to go to your testimony yesterday before the, uh, the commission. Uh, you said this is the worst religious persecution seen in China since Mao's cultural revolution in the 60s. It is. It is the worst time uh, since the Mao's cultural revolution uh, in 40 years. Uh, we have not seen this uh, kind of uh, level and degree of persecution. And, 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 and I mean, Tony, you know this as the commission uh, chairman and, uh, of course, as the leader of FRC, that uh, China is designated as engaging genocide. Right. China's uh, Communist Party is dealing more faith uh, prisoners, I mean, uh, uh, you know, followers, uh, than the rest of the world combined. You're talking about one to three million, you know, just ethnic Uyghur, Kazakhs, and even uh, Christians, you know, Muslims, in 380 concentration camps in West China. You're talking about, for the first time, Millions of Chinese children were forced to even sign a form to renounce their Christian faith. And you're talking about anyone who refused to take down the crosses, the pastor would receive 10, 12, 14 years imprisonment. You know, so this is uh, happening uh, right now. And, of course, the house churches, which have been there for years, are no longer, they're illegal. That's right. So the whole house church movement, Basically, 80 some, you know, maybe more, 80 to 90 million house church Christians are totally declared illegal. Their faith is declared illegal. So is the, is the persecution in China worse under President Xi or was it under Mao? I mean, which is worse? In some aspects, actually, is uh, under uh, Xi is uh, more sophisticated. Of course, with this high technology, with social credit system, with the kind of face recognition, camera surveillance you know, installed in every pulpit, Tony, in every pulpit, every mosques, every temples, the, to prevent any children, any Communist Party member, any youth speaker member, any doctor or nurses to attend a church service. So this is a, certainly, you know, in some aspects, it's worse. But, of course, you know, during the Cultural Revolution, Chairman Moore even banned, right. you know, point blankly, any faith. So I just uh, got off the stage from the plenary. I said, this is the legalized 
persecution. Right, right. Yeah. And, and, but we're seeing trends that are showing an increase in this persecution of Christians and other religious people in China. Yes, absolutely. We have uh, seen the trend is uh, uh, increasing to the point that China Aid, we issued an annual persecution report from last year. We lost track of it, not because it's decreasing to number zero. It's just uh, we, couldn't, we, lost, we couldn't count just how many who are arbitrarily arrested, how many pastors were tortured, how many churches was destroyed. So it's just, we lost the count. Yeah. Now, uh, President Xi is up for re-election. Uh, you know, I guess they call it re-election. We call him Emperor Xi now. He successfully removed the term limit of his presidency and the party secretary. So he's a president for life. How is China going to respond to the leadership here in the United States? Are they keeping them in check or are they, are, are they feel like they have the ability to do whatever they want? I think um, we are so, uh, I mean, we, the Chinese government certainly can't, uh, I mean, calculate based on the U.S. government uh, reaction. I, you know, you, you have seen when Communist Party see under President Trump, you know, this kind of very strong from sanctions, you know, put the uh, take off the Chinese companies off the list in the stock market. The revenge, uh, including you, honorably on the sanction list. Yeah, yeah but uh, that's because I'm now, your friend. That's because yeah. I'm your friend. Bob. <laughs> but now I think they feel a little bit relaxed. Uh, but still, I think uh, the current administration is following the similar policy. I hope they continue. Yeah. Well, it's important because there's yeah. a, there's. I don't think we understand just from the numbers the depth of the persecution of the people in China, Christians, Uyghurs, and others that are suffering under the hands of the Communist Party. Tibetan Buddhists, Falun Gong practitioners, everyone. It's horrible. Uh, Bob Fu, thank you for what you do, and uh, thanks for being here today, and thanks for being a part of the FRC team. Thank you. It's my honor. All right. Folks, don't go away. We're going to come back with more from the International Religious Freedom Summit here in Washington, D.C., Uh, Nadine Mianza, who is the chair of the commission, joins me next here on Washington Watch. Don't go away. What is religious freedom and why should you care about it, both domestically and internationally? By definition, religious freedom is the freedom to hold religious beliefs of one's choice and to live according to those beliefs. At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a harrowing reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media, even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to mount in many regions of the world. God calls Christians to care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To learn more about this issue and what you can do to help, go to frc.org slash IRF to check out Family Research Council's latest resources on international religious freedom. Christians are called to seek after the Lord above all things. This means we must pray unceasingly, vote our biblical values, and boldly stand for truth. 
You can join Family Research Council and FRC Action President Tony Perkins in this mission every Wednesday as he hosts the Pray, Vote, Stand broadcast to encourage brothers and sisters in Christ to focus their attention on the Lord in every aspect of their lives. Pray, Vote, Stand will help equip you to stand for biblical truth in the midst of a confusing time in our culture. Tony is joined by experts, elected leaders, and Christian leaders for this weekly program to help you see through the fog created by the biased mainstream media. This year, let's commit to pray for our nation, to stand for truth, and to seek the Lord first. To watch the Pray, Vote, Stand weekly broadcasts, visit PrayVoteStand.org. That's PrayVoteStand.org. Want honest and in-depth commentary on what's going on in our nation's capital and around the world? Join Family Research Council President Tony Perkins live every weekday by tuning into Washington Watch. You can listen to the show whenever it works for you. Go to TonyPerkins.com to stream episodes on demand or listen by radio through American Family and Radio Network, Bot Radio, the KTLW Radio Network, or independent Christian radio stations across the country. On the show, you'll hear from guests like Mike Pompeo, Senator Marsha Blackburn, Pastor Jack Hibbs, Ben Carson, Senator Josh Hawley, Sissy Graham Lynch, and more. Get a trusted perspective on the news of the day by tuning into Washington Watch with Tony Perkins at TonyPerkins.com. Again, that's TonyPerkins.com. To Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Uh, all right, the scenery is a little different. That's because we're broadcasting live from the International Religious Freedom Summit 2021. This is a civil society led event. We heard from uh, Ambassador Brownback earlier. Uh, he has kind of taken the torch and running with this. The precursor to this was the Ministerial to Advance Religious Freedom, which was started by uh, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. Uh, of course, it was uh, Ambassador Brownback that did the legwork on it. But now civil society is picking up in a wildly successful event. Joining me now to uh, continue our conversation about this inaugural event is uh, USERF now chair and President of Patriot Voices, Nadine Mianza. Nadine, welcome back to Washington Watch. Well, thank you so much for having me. So uh, now that you're uh, in the chair <laughs> position, uh, I'm glad you're filling that role at, uh, at USERF. It, uh, it comes with a lot of administrative it sure <laughs> duties, <does>. as I <laughs> A lot recall. to do, as you remember. Um, let me just, let's talk about the summit here. What are some of your major takeaways thus far? Um, you know, I think that the, the takeaways have really been to understand the conditions on the ground. We've heard from powerful testimonies from victims, from, you know, Rohingya, Yazidi, from others, you know, uh, Uyghur. And, 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 and so you, you hear how they're being affected on the ground by persecution and then hearing from the, the top people that understand how policy works, people that, that understand how government works. And so this combination of how do we do better yeah. What what I find is, you know, we deal in the numbers all the time. Our annual report yesterday, you testified before the Tom Lantos uh, Human Rights Commission on the basically the state of religious 
persecution around the country based upon our annual report. But what I find from gatherings like this is when you hear the actual stories, when you hear from those who have escaped these repressive uh, regimes or who have come out of uh, prison or whatever it might be, that provides a whole another dimension to the the numbers and the statistics which are themselves astounding staggering but these stories are powerful they are and it's so important in washington i think we saw this domestically even to go to look domestically that you know sometimes washington can be out of touch with what's happening in, in real life with americans and we've seen that in election results from time to time and i think the same thing is true with foreign policy is if people that are making policy decisions um sometimes can be so disconnected from the ground that we're, it's like a, you know, a think tank, you know, academic conversation. In the meantime, people are suffering. They're persecuted. We have the tools to lighten their load, maybe even change the game for them. But those, because we're not listening to them and because they're not a part of the conversation, those tools aren't being um, considered. And to me, that is really my passion is trying to combine the two, bring the two together so we can make the best possible decisions and the U.S. government can, can move in the best way forward. You know, I find, uh, Nadine, at times uh, I, I get angry. Yeah. Um, especially when you hear the the stories of the yeah. Yazidis, uh, you, the young women, the children, uh, you hear the stories of Nigeria, the schoolgirls, and, mm-hmm. you know, we hear they're abducted. But then you hear the stories of actually what happened yeah. to them and the, the abuse, the torture, the um, yeah, I, I just I get angry. And we, we need to get angry because I, uh, the Yazidi this morning, there was a, a Yazidi young lady that, that told her story and, and how they wait, they knew the U.S. was going to come. And the, a couple hundred of the girls were together and they, they knew the U.S. would come. The U.S. didn't come. And they could have just bombed and done a flyover and, and they wouldn't do it. And, and, and the international community waited. And because of that, these, you know, 7,000 um, women and girls were, were sold in, in slavery and, and, um, and only half of them have been returned. And so, you know, having her tell and, that. And, and, and some of them have been rejected by their communities. Their own community and had children they had to leave because they couldn't come back with the children. That, and, and, and the Iraqi government says those children are Muslims, even if they had Iraqi, even if their mother was a Yazidi, because they passed a law to punish these girls if the father is a Muslim, even if they were raped, the child is a Muslim. And so there's all these discriminatory laws against them. And then most of them still live in tents um, in the I mean, KRT. They're, they're, they're being victimized on top of being a victim. Right. So there are 83 countries in the global coalition to defeat Daesh. How could we not make it better for the Yazidi community seven years later? They're going on to their, their, their anniversary and, and so little has changed. And so, so angry is what we should be because we should have done better for them. And so a couple of things we need to figure out how we can do better and make, make good on, on, on them now. They're genocide survivors. Genocide should mean something. Um, and also we should learn how not to do it again. I mean, there are red flags when genocide right, is coming. Right. Well, I mean, look, and at we what, look away. Look what's happening happening in Nigeria. Uh, we're going to be talking about that tonight at a dinner. I'm going to be speaking at a dinner for Alliance Defending Freedom, and that's going to be our focus in, in Nigeria. Uh, we were talking about it briefly earlier in the program, but the most populous country in Africa. And the richest. Yeah, over 200 million people. And they can't get it right on this. I mean, just this year, we've had over a thousand school children abducted. Uh, another uh, attack just last week. I mean, finally, though, we see the uh, Nigerian government asking for help from the U.S. government. We'll, we'll have to see what kind of help the U.S. government does, in fact, provide, because, frankly, 
I, I'm not sure, sure that, it will that, be that helpful. <laughs> well, I, I don't think they're they're completely diagnosing the problem correctly. Uh, there there are those that want to to write this off as not religious uh, intolerance and persecution but a uh, scarcity of resources, of climate change, and all of these other things. And that's why USERF is important regardless of when, if I'm here or not. It will be important when I'm gone. And, and it's because we're truth tellers. We don't have the political um, environment around us to make decisions about these countries based on bilateral relationships. And so USERF is independent. We're supposed to be laser focused on religious freedom, call out truth. We're truth tellers. And so what I look at is when we look at Nigeria, we look at where Turkey invaded in Syria and is committing atrocities, the bombings they're doing to the Syrian villages in Iraq. We're, we're calling these out because we're telling the truth and we're making it so the U.S. government, the international community can't look away right. because what the U.S., what, what governments do is they look away because they're like, oh, it's too hard. We'll deal with it later. Diplomacy, we have all these. So we're still going to pretend it's not happening and not pay attention to it. And that's when all these red flags are being ignored. And that's when these, these um, violent situations are moving to genocide because the governments are looking away. And so USERF's role is important to call these out so they don't, don't look and, and away. And that's our only focus is on religious yeah. freedom. We don't consider the other issues. Uh, that is the one issue. And tomorrow you and I are going to be speaking on a panel, a, a session, general session uh, on uh, uh, religious nationalism and how some governments are using that to persecute certain minorities. So we still got a lot more talking we to do. do. Looking forward to it. <laughs> All right, Nadine, always great to talk to you. Thanks so Thank much you. for joining us. Thanks for having me. And folks, you can find out more about the summit. Go to TonyPerkins.com. You can follow the links over. And again, this is uh, this is not a one-time event. This will be uh, hopefully an annual event, but there's other activities in between. And, and I want to encourage you, especially as you hear some of these stories of what these young people and women in particular, because they're the targets, all right? It's the women, it's the children that are being targeted uh, by these Islamic uh, forces, whether it's in Nigeria or the Middle East. And, and it's just reprehensible. It's, it's I'm, I'm telling you, it just makes me angry. Um, and, and it makes me want to go over there and, uh, well, I'll, I'll leave it at that. But we can adopt these communities. We can adopt these individuals, and we can pray for them. Uh, one of the prisoners of conscience that I have, it's a program we have at USURF, Religious Prisoners of Conscience, is Leah Sherabu, who is a Nigerian girl. And she's now 18 years old. She's been held captive by uh, one of the Islamic-associated uh, uh, groups, uh, ISWAP, in Nigeria, and she's now, uh, she's been four years in uh, in captivity. But we can adopt them, we can pray for them. I pray for Leah uh, and her family every day. And so churches can bring awareness to this by praying for uh, our brothers and sisters. And, and Leah's a believer. She, in fact, the reason she's being held and not released is because she will not renounce her faith, faith in Christ. So go to the website, TonyPerkins.com, follow the links over. All right, joining me now uh, is Vice President of Policy and Government Affairs. He's the director of our Center for Religious Liberty, Travis Weber. Travis, welcome. Thank you, sir. All right, a, a lot to unpack during uh, uh, this program. We've talked about a lot already. But as you focused on this issue of international religious freedom, what, what were your biggest takeaways today? Yeah, I think um, 
you know, you're, Tony, you're seeing a diversity of uh, issues around the world, you know, both in terms of the way this is impacting people. Uh, Nadine referenced, it's been referenced, the personal stories, the impact uh, that you're hearing from people, the victims' mouths themselves, a diversity of, um, of religious groups being impacted, diversity of stories, and just the way this manifests itself. I mean, we had, uh, FRC had a breakout session on, on uh, Africa today, hearing a lot about Nigeria, but elsewhere in Africa, Sudan, Somalia, elsewhere. This is way different from the way religious freedom issues are manifesting in China, the Middle East. Um, I, I think that's really apparent as you hear the stories, just the diversity of experiences that we need to be aware of to advocate effectively here in the U.S., where we have our own challenges, but definitely different than what people are facing around the world. Well, that, that's a good uh, segue to the question I want to ask you is, you know, for those who say, all right, FRC, Family Research Council, you're in Washington, D.C., you're working on policy here. Why, uh, why the focus on international religious freedom? We've got our own problems here in the country. Yeah, I think this is good because as Christians, we need, we should ask the question, I think, as, as we've talked about, you know, as a Christian organization, we care about freedom because we are Christians. Uh, we want everyone to be able to free to choose be free to choose their faith and follow their, their faith as their conscience dictates, change their faith. Um, we may persuade people as a matter of personal conviction and our own faith drives us to do that, but the government should not be forcing this on anyone. And so we want this to be the policy both domestically, there's our own uh, legal protections, constitutional framework for that, and internationally. Uh, and there's legal protections internationally. We view this rightly as a human right for human right that must be upheld and defended and protected. Uh, so, for us at FRC, we care about upholding and promoting religious freedom at home or abroad because of our Christian faith. We want it protected for everyone, even though that manifests in many different ways. We do that around the world. But is it also a, a warning maybe to the United States? I mean, we have a First Amendment freedom of religion, but sometimes we take that for granted. And I, I think when you begin to see what happens in countries around the world that do not have that freedom or have lost that freedom, how so many other things hinge on that one freedom of religion and that if we're not vigilant in protecting that freedom and using that freedom, you know, we could find ourselves in the midst of the type of persecution we see in some of these other countries. I do think, you know, seeing what we're seeing today over the course of this summit over the next few days, it's a warning to uh, those of, of us in the U.S., as we look at our own freedom, and they need to continually fight to defend that. Because if you study what's gone on historically around the world, even the last uh, you know 50 years under communism, look elsewhere, you see trends and freedom being eroded. And it's eerie how similar the parallels can be to what we are starting to see here, the, the, the tip of what we're seeing here uh, when people go along en masse with uh, violations of freedom and don't think anything of it. That's what's gone on. I, I mean, elsewhere around the world under communism, you, you study the history of China. It is a warning sign. It's important for us to be aware of for that reason as well. And it's also important to, to realize that in most cases, it's slow and it's subtle. It's, it, it's not a, you know. You wake up one morning and all right. your freedoms are gone. It's slow, subtle, and then people are being cooked slowly and don't realize they're being cooked. This is what we should realize here to protect our own freedom at home, but to be advocating for it around the world as well. You know, often people say, well, you know, we've got we've got our First Amendment freedom. And it's this idea that somehow if we just lock up the Constitution, we can protect it. The way we protect it is that we use it. Because if we ever stop using those freedoms, that's when I 
am convinced we will, in fact, lose those freedoms. And, Tony, there's a lot of value to the idea of the cultural norm, right? So we can have legal protections, but if everyone in the culture says we're okay with our freedom being violated, that's ultimately going to affect the way that culture operates and will affect the law. Uh, you know, I mean, we see this just with the way people are okay with free speech violations now in the U.S. They've got to understand what freedom is and why it needs to be protected. And the problem is that we have not had to fight for it, and we've had things good. We don't understand what we may be losing. And you hear people coming over from communism, coming from China. They understand what they need to defend. And that's why these stories are important to hear and understand. Yeah, that's really a really good point. I mean, I think we have to have great discernment because I don't think we should be out, you know, looking for fights. But I think we need to be very perceptive when challenges and threats are present. And we need to take a stand, a, a very definitive stand against those threats. Realizing that uh, if we're not taking a stand, not cognizant, we could be participating in the slow erosion of our freedom when we don't even realize it's occurring. And I think we are seeing this a lot in the United States in, in recent months and years. All right, uh, Travis Weber, always great to talk with you. I'm sure we're going to be talking again before the uh, the summit is over. In Thank fact, you. In fact, we're going to dinner now. To, <laughs> we are. Uh, talk about Nigeria. Yep. All right. Well, folks, uh, I want to encourage you again. Go to the website, TonyPerkins.com. Also, tune in tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern time for Pray, Vote, Stand. We'll be talking about the crime wave. What's behind the lawlessness in America? So we can talk about, uh, we'll be talking with Congresswoman Mary Miller from uh, Illinois. We'll be talking with her. Also, uh, Wiley Thompson, former assistant director at the FBI, talking about how is this impacting the law enforcement community. So tune in again tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern time, prayvotestand.org. And again, we'll be broadcasting again live tomorrow here from the International Religious Freedom Summit. So tune in 5 p.m. Eastern time for more of the summit as we have uh, some of the featured guests here tomorrow. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you have taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at one 866 372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.